Welcome to Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's On The Wing Podcast. We've got the mixed bag mashup number two. Hopefully you listened to last week's really fun episode with Nick Larson of Project Dublin, Tyler Webster of Birds, Booze, and Buds, and Darrell Smith from the Gun Dog Notebook. One more uh, shout out to those three fo- fellas. Um, for giving their time and sharing some great stories. We've got an equally impressive lineup for episode number two of the Mixed Bag Mashup. Uh, We've got Travis Frank, host of The Flush, both the television show and the podcast. He's he's multi-talented that way. We've got Ronnie Beam. We'll find out if he's got a Miller Lite in his hand from the Hunting Dog Podcast. And my my often co-host representing Women on the Wing, uh, Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's very own, Marissa Jensen. It's Mixed Bag Mashup number two. Let's get it on. Dun, 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 <laughs> that's, my best, that's my best WWE. What, what do you think, Travis? <laughs> I, think, I think you had good energy there. Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, what, I, what I'd like to do, you know, the, the purpose of this is uh, this particular episode is kind of travel around the country. And, um, you know, the, the four of us have seen a lot of different landscapes, a lot of different birds this year and um, had some wonderful opportunities to chase birds behind some bird dogs. And um, I, I'm going to go right to Ron um, to start us off with where'd you hunt this year where'd you start your hunting season and give us kind of a recap of um the 2020 year that was ronnie uh well i started off actually not hunting but running dogs out in north dakota before the gun season went out there with a trainer friend of mine and uh we're actually out by tyler's and uh it was something that i've always wanted to do no pressure on missing a bird which is beautiful (laughs) <laughs> and it, it's it's as you know everybody always says you like to have catch and release hunting sometimes right mm. you don't really need to take another bird and it it's it's just so much fun going out there you kind of go with the weather and the heat of the day which we got very lucky on so my year started out um finding a lot of sharp tails and huns and uh never pulling a trigger and uh and then it morphed into michigan's grouse season uh, the up of michigan eventually back to South Dakota, a little bit of Iowa, and uh, wrapped up in Kansas. So that's about how it worked out. And I touched a little bit in uh, Virginia just because I was back at my place in Virginia and I thought I should take a, a walk with a gun. That's all it turned into was a walk with a gun. Yeah. <laughs> the UP. So you knew I was going to ask you about the UP. Uh, what county do you hunt in the UP? I was all over the place. I was near Paulding. Uh, I don't know okay. what county Paulding's in. Uh, uh, it might be Gogebic, home of the Paulding Lights, which yeah, which yeah. Uh, Travis is laughing because I, I think it was Bill Shirk did a story for Minnesota Bound on the Paulding Lights, right? Yeah, he did. He actually, one of the Flush episodes too, I think two years ago, he stopped by there just to, because they're always, I don't know, Bob, you, have you stopped along that road to see? I mean, there's always people that stop and they look down this clear cut through the forest and you see these random lights off in the distance that nobody can seem to explain. 
I mean, it's clearly UFOs trying to figure out how to annex the UP for their right. planet. Um, and they haven't figured <laughs> it out yet. Right. Yeah. <laughs> It is. It is. I, so yeah, I I hunted around there, and then I, I hunted over in Baraga, Baraga County. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> My wife's family is from up in Baraga, and I went to the old family farmstead up there, um, which is always kind of rem. I just like walking the property, and the house is collapsed, the barn's almost gone, the granary's still standing, the sauna's collapsed, and there's always and there's a bunch of apple trees. There's always a bird or two hanging around, and. But that's just more like seeing the, you know, it's like going in your backyard, you know, it's not a place I would send people to. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that and Berrigan. And then I kind of hunted my way back a little bit as I went back home. So I went over the bridge coming back and uh, I can't remember the other counties, but I didn't, mm -hmm. the one thing I, I actually went there to go interview some bear hunters. It was grouse season, but it was very early grouse season. So you know how that goes. It's, it's mm -hmm. just so, the foliage is so thick that, you're not expecting great success. Um, but I made it a point to check out like three gems areas because I've mm. always heard about it. And people write me and say, well, how are the gems areas? They really have, they've got birds and they've got access and they've got maps. And it's like, it's a perfect starter place to go learn. I I, I was very impressed and and put birds up in all of them. Yeah. Didn't, didn't kill it. But. For folks that maybe aren't familiar with gems, Remind me what the acronym means. Grouse in enhanced, enhanced man management uh, areas, but I don't know where the S comes from. Grouse mm -hmm. enhanced management system or something. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're, they're spread out all over the state and they do a real good job of cutting and trails and uh, it's solid habitat. And then it's also good solid habitat when the flight's on to suck in the woodcock too. I mean, they'll have mm -hmm. woodcock year round, but those gems areas are so good, uh, so good for grouse that it's the the woodcock show up too, hmm. and uh, yeah. And you were you were on the podcast with us with me and Jared probably. Gosh, it, I guess it would have been the fall of nineteen on your way out because uh, you hunted on your way out through yeah. Minnesota. Yeah, two years uh, ago. Yep. And you mentioned your very favorite bird to hunt is is the ringneck pheasant. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. where was where was your favorite pheasant hunt of uh, 2020? It was probably only because I was with big groups. Um, like there was just like a little piece of Iowa that was just special with a family mm -hmm. I met years ago. Did that, but it was in South Dakota. But it was after everybody left. And I just had a couple days to work my way back and uh, just, you know, I honestly, I think pheasant hunting is easier with one person and one dog. Hmm. And it's usually not done that way. You know, it's a lot of two guys and the old fashioned party hunts or driven hunts. And um, it, I, I like just me and a dog, a couple hour walk and, and find a bird, even if it's a hen, you know, and, mm -hmm. uh, and I was, I got, I got my, I got my behind handed to me, you know, twice inside of 20 minutes. I, I, I have no idea. I acted like it was the first time I ever raised a shotgun to my shoulder. It was pitiful, but <laughs> it would have, it would have been South Dakota. I, I just, I love that place. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We'll move uh, towards Marissa. Cause I know you started off your hunting season in a really new and special place. Tell us about that. Yeah. I'd say, Early 
early season September was probably the highlight of the entire, you know, 2020 going into 2021 season. Um, so we, we did start in Nebraska, um, in the sand hills, which is one of my absolute favorite places to hunt. Um, we did the opener there, which was a little bit sketchy, uh, really, really, really hot. So we woke up, you know, really early, got in what we could in the morning and then just tried not to fry around the campsite the rest of the day. Uh, but we got into quite a few birds and I found lots of turtles, which is always a big, <laughs> big deal for me. It's one of my favorite things about that place. Um, so I had to do my iconic, you know, turtle photo out there. But uh, from there, we went to Wyoming um, and that was new for me this year. We went sage grouse hunting and spent um, an entire week camping, fishing, hunting out there um, just on some BLM land. And it was just a remarkable experience. Um, we saw a lot of birds, incredible dog work. Um, a lot of other wildlife and I just I'm not sure that trip it's gonna be tough to beat that one that was it's pretty pretty great and then um, definitely spent some time pheasant quail hunting in Nebraska towards the end of the season um, it's always good to to see numbers the way that they were this year I was really pleased um, specifically with our bobwhite quail population so I didn't go to as many states as I had hoped to but I I had some pretty remarkable experiences and I've got a pretty mm. young dog that uh, I was just excited to get on birds. When you hunted sage grouse for the first time and, and I, that was your first time in sage country, right? Yeah. Yeah. What, what, what surprised you the most about that experience? Honestly, you know, when I'm hunting prairie grouse, I, I'm kind of happy that I get this reprieve from the, you know, weird walking that you get in CRP and everything else. I'm like, oh, this is going to be cake. And you can't really get a solid, like, momentum, I didn't feel like. Um, the the cover is so woody in some areas and thick, even though it's short, that you're just kind of unbalanced the entire time. I wasn't expecting that. Um, and the altitude, it, it kicked my ass. <laughs> it, it was... Um, a lot harder on me than I expected it to be. So um, I think both of those really just kind of threw me for a loop. Well, the photos from it um, were pretty, pretty awesome. And it was, uh, it, it, I haven't ever hunted sage grouse, but I've chased them with telemetry. And it is one of those birds where you look at this sea of sage and you're kind of like, how in the heck am I going to find them? It's just like a needle in a haystack. So it takes yeah. a little while to figure out. We, um, we experienced them uh, running as well, which was not something that I had, you know, read or heard about ahead of time. And um, multiple days, you know, we'd get them just running from us in big groups. And uh, I got to see two by themselves run, but um, Chad and Jenny, who were the individuals we hunted with, got to see a, a very large group of big males just kind of take off in all different directions. And um, it was my dog that was over there. And I was on this other side of the ravine. And I was like, Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let them have this. Not, I'm pooped. It's the last day. Like, <laughs> they've got this. And, uh, you know, the GPS just kept saying point off point point off point. I can't <laughs> see any of it. And she's just trying to relocate these birds and hold them and 
So I'm pretty bummed I missed it, but it sounded like a incredible <laughs> <laughs> experience. Next time I'll be I'll be hustling up there along with them. <laughs> so on the first um, episode of this special series, I I dubbed Tyler Webster Mr. Mixed Bag, and I may have been premature in that um, in that nickname because Mr. Mixed Bag might be Travis Frank. Because Travis, over the course of a year, hunts, you know, arguably more species than Tyler. What do you, what do you think, Travis? Who uh, who's, who earns that nickname? Tyler gets it this year. Um, it, I I do like variety. I do like to uh, experience new places and hunt birds that I've never hunted before. Uh, you're filming the TV show. Um, we try. I mean, it's a national. TV show. So we try to show bird hunting in different places around North America. Uh, it also airs up in Canada too on wild TV. So every once in a while we'll go up into Canada and I love challenges. I love pushing myself, uh, into, you know, hard to reach places and birds that aren't very common. I mean, obviously I love, um, you know, Midwest bird hunting pheasants and, and grouse as well, but yeah, any chance that I can go somewhere that seems difficult, that's where I want to be. This year, though, didn't really we didn't really do that as as much. Um, COVID really changed our travel plans and kept us. Um, we we have a majority of our hunts this year for our television show are really going to be hunts that are do-it-yourself kind of hunts. Um, I camped four times, I believe, out in the middle of nowhere, out on the prairie. And personally, I loved every second of doing that. Um, my journey took me, uh, I hunted Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota, and Montana. A couple of those states in the Dakotas visited more than once. Um, you know, some of the other hosts went to different places, uh, Nebraska, Wyoming. Um, I'm not sure where else off the top of my mind, but uh, we we didn't travel as far as I wanted to this year. I, I had hoped to go hunt with Darrell Smith. I had hoped to hunt in California this year. I'm still holding out hope, though, that my hunting season isn't over yet this year. Because in Alaska, you can hunt for about nine months out of the year. And it's got a couple months yet before it's done. So I'm, I'm in touch with somebody up there where... The, contemplating a snowshoe <laughs> hunting on snowshoes up it i know ron wants ron's point um oh, i'm sorry there's no real video on this is there true, true. So <laughs> what, except for us so what i'm looking at right now is ron smoking a cigar on my screen and pointing at him to come up there but uh, ron i've invited you to come hunt in the mountains with me all the time and you're like no no, yeah, not mountains. I don't like mountains. Nobody likes mountains. <laughs> I love mountains. I would like to volunteer like... myself. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Marissa, Marissa can carry all my gear. That'd be fine. Yeah. Why? why now, why do I get that role? <laughs> well, because you love the mountains. So you. you know, <laughs> I, I need a, I need a Sherpa. I need a Sherpa to go back in the mountains. You're going to be very disappointed in me. <laughs> Ron, do you think you could convince your Bracco Italiano to climb the mountains? Easier than you convince me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I did that once for, for Steve's show, and it, it and that was six years ago, mm -hmm. and it kicked my behind. I mean, 
you know, you walk for three hours, you climb for three hours before you need to take your gun out. That's not hunting to me. That's exercise. Well, okay. <laughs> so, Ron, now, would you, you have been up in the mountains with Steve, and then yep. you and I filmed a hunt on an island in the middle of uh, mm. Lake Michigan. Lake Michigan. On, yeah. on that particular, on one of the islands, there was an undergrowth that I can't, I don't know how to describe it, but it's like there was, right. the whole forest floor was a tree that we were walking on inside the yeah. branches. And I think that was the most miserable walking I've ever experienced in my yeah. entire life. And I've been up in 10,000 feet chasing chucker. Hmm. I would take I would take the chucker over that flat island seven days a week. I, I you know I'd agree when when Marissa said you look at that sagebrush and it is it's like a bouncy it's catch you know you got to kind of weave your way through it unless you happen to be on a cow path and and it's kind of aggravating after a while you know it's like how many times am I going to get tripped up? Mm -hmm. You're right climbing up to climbing up to nine thousand feet was just a climb it wasn't being fucked but what. What Travis is describing on on one of the islands, yeah, I, I think somebody called it ground hemlock. But if you picture evergreen bushes that have been in front of everybody's houses forever, those really springy, woody evergreen, it was like somebody laid out a forest of evergreen bushes and you had to walk on top of them. Mm -hmm. It was it really was miserable. So to answer your question, yes, I'll go up a hill before I go back across that. <laughs> it was funny. <laughs> When we were driving the boat back to mainland off of that island, you and I looked at each other and we said, one and done. <laughs> one and done. <laughs> and I blame our guide on that, too. But we we're just following him. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. Tell us a little bit more about Alaska. How late, How long does it go? Is it, I'm assuming it's ptarmigan, right? Oh. Yeah, yeah, there's three three species of ptarmigan up there in the season, actually. So there, Alaska's upland bird season, and, and I'm not going to – don't quote me on specific dates here for specific birds, but I'll say that uh, I believe uh, it opens mid or late August, and it runs through April. So you really got May, wow. June, July, so like three and a half months of no season. And I will – I will bet that there's not a lot of hunting that happens in December, January when they don't have a lot of daylight. So maybe, you know, that mm -hmm. kind of saves the birds there too. But um, it's it late in the season, uh, you can differentiate males versus females uh, pretty easily. And the males are on, on these, I don't know, if, I don't know if it's a lack like it would be for our grouse down here, but they go to the same areas and they're waiting for the for the ladies, of course, and trying to, uh, you know, pick their spots. And you can really easily tell the male versus a female this time of the year. So, uh, huh. Jim McCann wrote uh, wrote a book called Upland Bird Hunting in Alaska, and I had him on our podcast oh, this summer. And we've stayed in touch and we're just, it's just travel and COVID and quarantines and everything and trying to figure out what makes sense and if it's doable. And, um, our production company, we produce several other TV shows as well, and everything has been impacted by travel. So while we're, while we're, I like to focus on the Upland bird side, uh, we also have an ATV show and other TV shows that, uh, we have to make sure get to the networks and some of the travel was cut. So we're a relatively small company 
um, in, in television. We have eight TV shows we produce and we got to keep them all on the air. So my travel requests are pending. We'll just say. (laughs) (laughs) So one of the, the major changes for you this year is the addition of a bird dog. Yeah. Right. Mm hmm. And there's a Tyler Webster connection there too, right? Right. Yeah. Tyler and I hit it off a few years ago. Uh, if you listened to last episode or any of Tyler's podcasts or any of the shows I've done with him or with Ron, you can't help but love Tyler. He's just a great guy. And he and I hit it off. We got to spend time together up in the field. He lives in bird paradise. Um, it really is. He undersells it. It's way better than you could ever describe on on you know radio and when i was up with him hunting um i i hunted with him multiple times i hunted with all of his dogs and just this summer uh because we keep in touch regularly we were just talking about life and catching up and um i've got a really young family and getting a bird dog was something that i've been wanting to do i just um with my travel schedule and my family Um, I didn't want to bring that dog into the family at the right time. And I just, Tyler happened to have a dog, a puppy, and he has three others or four others. And he just said, I'm not going to be able to give this dog what she deserves. And if you want her, you can have her. And I don't know why, for some reason that day I sent, he sent me the photo of this puppy and I sent it to my wife and she's like, is that our dog? And I said, it, it can be, it can be. And not even a week and a half later, my wife and my three kids all packed into the car and we drove up to Stanley, North Dakota and picked up our white, uh, lightning affectionately called Daisy. She's a, a German short-haired pointer, English setter. Bob, I think you quoted it as a poinsettia, a poinsettia. <laughs> and uh, so my life will never be the same. Yeah, it points and it never set us. <laughs> <laughs> she, she, yes, it's been, oh my goodness. So basically Tyler lives up, you know, on the short grass prairie up, you know, dead end gravel road and there's no concerns he can see for miles in every direction. I live in a neighborhood, but that dog spent the first five and a half months of her life basically with the freedom to just run, you know, six, 800 yard hot laps. And I had, when I brought her home, she wanted that freedom to continue. And I would lose her across highways. Um, I mean, it was, it was very stressful. She, she just has this motor to fly. And at one point, my six-year-old boy was uh, holding onto the, the leash and she ran, drug him through the backyard all the way into the woods until he couldn't hold anymore. And she was gone. And that, that was, wow. a real ex- that was a real experience that happened more times than we, I have more stories than we have time to talk about here. Um, but through the course of this year, um, she's become a bird dog and her future is very bright. Um, and she she proved it multiple times, but she also scared the living crap out of us on a few hunts. And I'm going to look like a complete idiot on television this uh, this coming season. Ron, don't laugh. I can't wait. I can't wait. To <laughs> oh see it. gosh, I know. It's I'm going through some of the footage and like I just want to redo 
I want to read. I one saw that Travis. I saw that dog in August. You when did you pick it up? Uh, I was either the last weekend in August or the first weekend in September. Right. So I was out there chasing the birds before gun season. And then I heard that you got that dog. I'm going, ay, ay, ay. Why didn't you tell me, Ron? What the <laughs> you, you didn't ask. You didn't oh. ask. He's like, yeah, she's real sweet. And she is. She's just the sweetest sure. dog ever. But the second she has like the ability to hunt, she doesn't care about you or anybody else. And her motor is, I mean, more times than I want to tell you about right now, I had to go back and get the truck and drive out and find her at the, at a distance where my Garmin GPS said lost signal. Yeah. Yeah. And and so that does, uh, there were a couple of questions. Cause what's adding a dog to your TV schedule. I mean, that's had to have changed your approach to traveling for TV shows. Doesn't it? It's hell. (laughs) It's absolutely. <laughs> I'm being honest with you. It, it's I don't know how Ron Shera did it all those years. Um, I know he had very he had well, a lab. Yeah, he had a, he had a lab. That's right. He always had a lab. Um, it really changes the the day for me. And my my job is to come home with a television show. I have to interact with people out there. I can't give my dog 100 percent of my attention. And that was a yeah. big mistake on our first. On her first ever hunt, we were out in the Badlands of North Dakota, and my buddy George Lyle, who trains dogs, he's a wonderful dog trainer. He's like, she needs more time. She needs more time. And I'm like, we don't have it. We are going on this trip. And we put our camper down out there, and we camped out in the Badlands, which was amazing. By the way, do it if you ever have the chance. Um, but anyway, we let this dog go, and and she goes 300, 400, 500, 600, 700, 800 yards and he's driving or he's he's got the remote you know and he's driving and i'm just watching thinking oh boy well she found sludge and came back completely covered in a layer of mud and that was great and fine and at least she came back later on that day uh his dog got hit by a porcupine we're pulling the quills out he's still driving and this my dog jumps a deer and she's gone this little puppy this six-month-old dog is gone and it took 45 minutes of looking for her in the canyons in the badlands and he had the remote and i'm at the bottom of the canyon george is on the top and he goes she's down there it says right there he said you're you're 15 yards away from her and i'm looking and there's no dog anywhere to be found and and i kept looking kept looking he's like she's there it says she's there you know and you've got a pit in your stomach did she get you know was it a mountain lion what 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 could she have found well she found this little crack in the ground that was maybe a foot wide and the the grass was you know knee knee high maybe waist high down in the bottom of the canyon and i would never have seen it without that gps but i found the crack and five feet below she's buried in the mud down there and uh so that's a story of my very first time with my dog (laughs) <laughs> that was just a precursor for the whole season. <laughs> but anyway, I'm on camera the whole thing. So yeah, it's stressful because I mean, I don't, yeah. most of the time, if I know in a perfect world, I would have had the ability to spend a whole season with my dog before ever, ever having mm. somebody with a camera following in my every mood move and everything I say. And at one point I remember because I've interviewed dozens and dozens of people over the years for our TV show. And they all say, you know, it's about the dog. I just, I, 
the bird's great, but it's all about the dog. I just love watching the dog work. And I remember climbing out of the canyon with my dog, carrying her up this mountain. And I go, F you guys in your, it's just about following the dog. Well, there's nothing fun about this. What are you guys even saying? It's crazy. It's all about the dog. I just love the dog. Yeah, you can have this dog. <laughs> so we'll see if that makes the TV show. But that's that's the reality of, of what I experienced out there. Um, and she's sitting next to me right now looking at me like, what are you, what are you talking about, Dad? And, What's wrong, Dad? Yeah, exactly. So that, that was part of my question. As you get... As you get that stronger and stronger bond with the dog, I have a personally, I have a hard time taking a trip to go bird hunting, you know, jump on an airplane and go bird hunting without my dog now. Mm-hmm. I mean, since I've owned my own dogs over the last 14 years, I've taken a single trip to go bird hunting that I didn't bring my own dogs. I've driven 24 hours, you know, 22 hours, 18 hours, Montana, Texas. All over the the one trip I took was flew out to Arizona without my dogs, and while it was worthwhile, I wouldn't do it again. Yeah. You know, I there's just something different about hunting over your own dogs. I, I don't know, Marissa, Ron, what about you guys? Do you do you feel bad taking a bird hunting trip without your dog, or is that a, is there a sense of freedom? when you go somewhere and you don't have to worry about (laughs) Rod's quick to answer freedom. Well, I've been at it the longest, so I want to hear Marissa's version. And I also like to hear about a normal young dog's experience as opposed to what Travis is going through. (laughs) Well, um, I, I sympathize with Travis quite a bit, so I don't know if I'm the best example. Uh, I (laughs) actually, um, back when I did the film with project Upland, uh, my German short hair at the time took off and I lost her for about 45 minutes. During that. I was like, awesome. I can't wait for this to show up on film. <laughs> um, so, and I have been there many, many times. She's a phenomenal bird dog um, and just great in the house. But when it is time for her to hunt, she could care less if I keep up or not. She's going to find those birds and she'll hold them. And if I never find her, like (laughs) that's on me, I guess. So the the GPS collars have been a a huge game changer. Um, But I, you know, that being said, I I don't like hunting without my own dogs. I just, you know, and I have before, but it's, it's just not the same. You just kind of get in your own rhythm. And I do hunt a lot by myself too. So we kind of have our, our just thing, you know, that we do. And, um, it is tough though, when you get to, to hunt with individuals that all kind of hunt like that, where we have our own, you know, we follow our own dogs and we hunt by ourselves. And then you get a group of those people together and it's just like chaos. Mm. <laughs> we all want to go our own directions with our own dogs. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty biased to mine. They, they may cause me a lot of headaches, but I, I like to walk behind them. You know, in, in full disclosure, I've, <clears throat> those problems happened to me many, many years ago. So I, I have lost dogs, but I, I've told people <laughs> over the years, um, that I, I, I like to hunt for with people and the, like the people in the places, have become more, and it's probably just because I'm the old guy, you know, and 
done a lot of stuff. And even if the dog's being, you know, not that good that day, or if I can go somewhere where there's other people, I'm just as excited about the people and the places. And then if, like when I went to Kansas, we did a thing with CZ, and my dogs were in a truck all day. And then I took them for just some exercise walks at night, and then I hunted them on the way home. So I, I can have fun hunting with other people's dogs. And then, but I've also like my favorite hunts, like Marissa just said, when I stair step my way home from a trip and I just get to have these little hours here, two hour here with just one dog. Yeah, those, those are my favorite hunts because it's like no stress. Mm-hmm. But I've also got dogs now that, you know, you, Garmin could have a, a new GPS that only goes out to 200 yards. It'd be fine because <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I don't, that's the one thing I don't have anymore is that worry of the, the dogs just, you know, <laughs> gone. And it, ha- it happens to everybody. I, yeah. my first, my first wire hair, good, I called my first good wire hair that I bred through one of mine. It was bad. He cleared a pheasant field in South Dakota and we saw him on a road on a County road, just, you know, off in the horizon. I'm like, is that the dog? Yeah. Yeah. He's done clearing that field. I mean, I have been, I've been where you, I don't think I've ever been where Travis was, where the where the dog actually <laughs> went into a crevasse and decided to take a mud bath because he was overheated. But I will say what you should do, Travis, is probably do some DNA on it, and I bet you you'll find some greyhound in that dog. Oh, she's a, <laughs> I bet you. I, she's a missile. I mean, I I live in you know central Minnesota, and we have all these little like postage stamp. WMAs and WPAs yeah, yeah. and stuff, and we get to some of them, and I'll go with a buddy or something, and he'll take me to one of his sweet spots, and I'm like, that's about a 30 second walk. She'll <laughs> <laughs> let you know if there's anything in there. If you want me to let you know, let her out, she'll tell you if there's anything in that 40 acres before you get your vest on. I mean, she is unbelievable, but yeah, I. I've, I've pulled her back. You know how many times I can't even count how many times I've had people tell me this year, you can pull a leash back, but you can't push it. You know, when they say that <laughs> you want a dog with that kind of prey drive. And I, I was in Montana yeah. and I was like, and I, and this was one of the other days of filming. We got, finally got my dog back and, and we got to the road and I go, if anybody here, <laughs> this is the first day film. If anybody here tells me again, you can pull a leash back, but you can't pull it. We're out of here. <laughs> <We're done. laughs> I was obviously joking, but at the time I was kind of serious too. <laughs> what well, there's got to be something that your dog has taught you that you weren't weren't expecting. Oh, you know, outside what? of outside outside of distance running. <laughs> so I wouldn't change any of it. Um, maybe I would. Maybe I'm lying. Maybe I would change it. But I feel like so. Here's I'm learning. I've taken the um, I want to I want to work through this. My my buddy George trains dogs, and and he's been right alongside me. We've spent time together. But I'm really I want to know as much as I possibly can about this dog, how to train it. And I've been very open about my journey with this dog, the struggle, the struggles I've had. I've and and what it's done is it's allowed a lot of people to reach out to me and say, "Hey, I've been in this position. What did you do? You know, what do you recommend?" So now these experiences in life, just like all things that we do in life, I'd rather struggle through it because I know that the end I'm going to come out a lot stronger and I can already see my dog right now. We go outside. I mean, there was two and a half months where she was 
I had a, a a lead on her. She would never be let loose. Then it was, you know, the caller. And now we can go outside and she, you know, comes right. She doesn't leave. She's, I mean, it, I've seen all of this work that we've put into her come, come full circle now. And now I'm able to talk with a lot of other people that are going through the same struggles or wondering, hey, should I invest my time in learning? I think it's going to make my hunting career the rest of my life that much sweeter based on what I've learned. Uh, the people in my life, people like you guys, I mean, Ron might poke, might poke fun at me and send me texts, but at the same time, if I need him for something, he's there. I can call him and say, what would you do here? I'll take that as a, you know, in a consideration, probably do something different, but he's there, you know, he's, he's there in case I, I need to. And um, I'm just really grateful for that. <clears throat> All right. So when we talked with Darrell and Tyler and uh, and Nick, one of the questions I asked them was about, did the bird numbers live up to kind of what the roadside counts and your expectations were, as well as did you encounter as many people as some of the projections uh, were that, that there were going to be a ton more people on the landscape bird hunting this year? So I, I asked that question of those three. I'm curious what your feedback is. We'll start with Marissa. And, um, did the birds live up to your expectations? And uh, what about hunting pressure out there in the landscape? Yeah, they, they definitely lived up to my expectations and did some. Um, you know, the the prairie grouse hunt that we went on, you know, anybody that's that's done a, a prairie grouse hunt knows that you can put 10, 15 miles in and sometimes don't, you know, even find a bird. And we found, you know, just really nice groups of both chickens and sharpies in, in short periods of time, um, you know, in Nebraska. And then the sage grouse, I was really worried at going out there. Um, none of us in our group had ever hunted Wyoming before. Um, Jenny, this was her first out-of-state hunt period. Um, so we were just kind of like randomly pick a spot on the map and, and see what happens. And we got into birds within probably 30 minutes. And that's, you know, not what I had been expecting at all. Um, and, you know, continued to have some success. And obviously we put in the miles. Um, so it was... I was really, especially with the sage grouse, to see that the numbers were, um, you know, looking pretty good from at least the areas that we were. Uh, same with pheasant and quail. Some of the areas that I've hunted primarily for quail, the coveys were just massive. Um, and I was finding pheasants in those areas where I hadn't typically seen any pheasant. Um, you know, Pressure, I, I didn't really see very much of it. Certainly uh, ran into a couple more people than I normally do, which is, you know, it's exciting. It, it's it's kind of a catch-22, right? Like it's mm -hmm. really exciting to see more hunters out there and hopefully some of them are new. I remember in the Sandhills, you know, we were um, with my friend Allie and Chad and then we ran into uh, a couple and so there was more women than men standing around this area. And I was like, wow, I'm pretty sure this is the first I have ever had that. <laughs> so that was pretty cool to see. Um, you know, the pronghorn hunters in Wyoming, that was more of an issue than anything else. Um, but they, they seemed to kind of be, I shouldn't say an issue, but what we saw at least 
they seem to be pretty specific to an area. So we figured there's plenty of space in Wyoming. Let's just leave that to them and, and go pick a different spot. But hmm. I was I was pleased with the numbers and I hope that, you know, this continues to be a, a trend. I know that we're experiencing quite a cold snap across the country right now and hopefully that won't impact too much. Yeah, well, it's quite quite cold, but thankfully we're not buried in snow. So fingers crossed for the most part, birds are, at least pheasants and the prairie grouse, I think are going to be okay. It's a little bit yep. more of a, this cold snap's pushing a little bit further south than I was hoping as a, bob, as a bob white. Yeah, it is pretty hard on the, the little birds keeping the heat. Um. Ron, what what about bird numbers and uh, pressure from your perspective? I felt I felt it was pretty much almost same same as most years. Hmm. I mean, you know, bird numbers corresponded with where they were supposed to be more birds. It did seem like there was more birds. <clears throat> the the family I told you I hunted with in Iowa. Um, what I found in Iowa was, you know, they've got great bird numbers, but it's more like islands of good habitat, like. The next three sections, like, I don't know where the birds are going to go when they fly out. Like, they just, mm -hmm. they, they hunt a lot of waterways and stuff like that. So, I don't know if it'll ever get, until they get more CRP, I don't know if it'll ever get great. But for small areas, like, you could get out of the truck and you're going to find some birds here. You could get out of the truck and you're going to find some birds there. So, I think bird numbers were good and reports, the only one I could really compare it to was what I heard about Iowa because people kind of, stayed away from Iowa for a while mm -hmm. <clears throat> and everybody said it was coming back. And this family, this is Northwest Iowa, mind you, um, you know, I'm again, a lot in that particular County with a lot of private land. I was fortunate to go on, um, but we did hit a public piece and uh, <clears throat> there was good bird numbers. Yeah. You know, there was good bird numbers. So yeah, I'd say, I'd say the projections were probably accurate and I can't say that I, you know, Felt like I was, you know, back on the Dan Ryan Expressway in Chicago waiting in traffic. So, um, yeah. And I like, and I like people. So, you know, the more the better, as long as they're not right where I'm hunting. So. <laughs> well, I'm glad you brought up CRP because that's a good nugget for me to remind listeners. Um, since the last podcast, the U.S. Department of Agriculture announced an indefinite extension. It, it, was that a Miller Lite or a Diet Coke? What are we What are we drinking, Ron? Light. Miller Lite. Oh, it's Miller go. time. You, I was waiting you, for that. I feel like Mar now Marissa, we're relaxed. Marissa saw him. That was my third. <laughs> yeah, I've been I've been telling him up quietly. I wasn't going to throw you under the bus, but <laughs> no. but um, it, well, anyway, CRP, an indefinite sign up is going on right now. So. If, Folks are out there listening and they own some land and want to learn a little bit more about the program. Please uh, check out Pheasants Forever, Quail Forever's website under the Habitat tab. Find one of our Farm Bill biologists. Uh, get into your local USDA service center and um, and see what your options are because their USDA is actively working to make it a more attractive program for landowners. And in 18 years of working for Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever, I've never seen a sign up with an indefinite ending. So I take that as a pretty good sign that uh, um, we we might have um, some knobs being tweaked to make this a really, really productive program for 
for all our favorite uh, favorite feathered friends here. Uh, Travis, bird numbers and uh, hunting pressure. Well, <clears throat> I uh, spent time in some of the most bird-rich parts of the country this year by design. I mean, if you have the opportunity to go places where everybody's telling you there's a lot of birds, you do it, right? Um, right. So I would say uh, North Dakota, I know Tyler talked about it on your first mix-up show here, but they were they lived up to the expectations. They were phenomenal. Sharp-tailed grouse numbers, western North Dakota were phenomenal, and the pheasants. I'm like Tyler, though. I, if I can flush a covey of Hungarian partridge, oh, I just, I'm obsessed with them. So the fact that, you know, in western North Dakota, you can, on one walk, you can flush three birds like that. I mean, we had, we had uh, flushes this year where that happened. I mean, I, we were in eastern Montana, and um, at one point, the dogs are on point, and a covey of hunts get up. You shoot that. And the bird hit the ground and a rooster flushed and you try to shoot at that. Meanwhile, uh, sharp-tailed grouse are soaring over the top from the side. And you're like, this, what is this? Is this real right now? And it's on public land, you know? <laughs> um, but, but with that, that same, that exact same day in, in Montana, and, and I can't say for sure if there was more pressure because we were out there on Montana's pheasant opener, but Everywhere the night before that we were on the roads, all of the property, I mean, there were so many out-of-state vehicles driving around. Uh, they definitely got the memo that the bird numbers were up and they were out there. Um, in fact, we were camped in this field, literally camped overnight. We woke up because this is the, the it's a one square mile section and there's a draw running through it. And our plan was to walk that for a pheasant opener. So we get up. And it's dark and we're getting the dogs ready. And I look and I'm like, those are headlights over there. We got beat to our spot and we camped there overnight <laughs> and we, we literally had to wait for this guy and I, he was a nice guy. So I went up there and I talked to him and I, and I asked him, you know, what his plan was and crepes, we got a whole, we got a film crew. We got like, this is our plan, right? You can't, what are we going to do? And I said, would you be interested in joining us? This is what we're doing. And he goes, honestly, I'd rather just go for a walk with my dog. And I said, fair enough. So on Montana's pheasant opener, we're sitting back at camp thinking, well, our plan is uh, spoiled, guys. We could go for sharp tails, I guess. And I said, let's just, there's enough birds out here. Let's just wait. An hour into it, not even, it was like 45 minutes. I mean, you could keep, kept hearing him shoot, 45 minutes. He comes back mm -hmm. out of the draw with his limit. Because I'm like, he's not going to make it the whole mile. There's no way. There's so many birds here. So he comes back. We let him leave. And we go hunt the same stretch and we flushed hundreds of birds, huh. grouse, pheasants, and hunts. So the numbers were fantastic. Um, I can speak to Eastern Montana, Western North Dakota. And then, um, Bob, the, the hunt that we put together this year where for the, uh, the pheasants forever auction, um. that was, um, <laughs> one amazing family that, that bid the winning oh. bid. Bro that the Brocco family? Yeah. Yeah. I texted you at mid, <laughs> mid uh, the, the Schwinn family. They're phenomenal. Uh, Hunter Schwinn had three Broncos out there. Uh, um, they were just a delight to hunt with, but we hunted on, on farms in South Dakota where you say it doesn't get any better. Like, I don't know how it could get better. I mean, we mm. would flush a thousand pheasants in a day of hunting and it was on that trip where my puppy became a rock star because of just the all the wild birds 
and and just the constant contacts. Um, so I but I but then you know I will say I live in central Minnesota, uh, about an hour west of the Twin Cities, and I can shoot a pheasant within ten minutes of my house. Um, but so can everybody else. And this year, yeah. everyone's working from home. All of the public land places. I mean, there were very few days that I went out, and I went out a lot. There were very few days that I went out where I didn't have somebody parked in there before me or leave a spot and then really not wasn't able to find other places. So uh, there was a couple weeks stretch where I kind of just took a break because um, I knew we were walking third, fourth, fifth in line that day on a small WMA or WPA. And it just kind of changes it a little bit when my puppy doesn't run into any bird scent. And so they, I, I felt bad for the pheasant. So and more times, uh, more times than I've ever felt before, just because of all the pressure in this region, in this part of bird country in Minnesota. It, it's interesting how consistent that is with Darrell and Tyler and Nick, you know, where it's grouse country where Nick talked about or Tyler in North Dakota the pressure, they didn't feel the pressure that like me and the kind of the marketing and communications team within the Twin Cities based head headquarters, you know, mm -hmm. we get back on Monday morning and we talk about, you know, oh my goodness, like there were people everywhere, especially if you headed Southwest Minnesota. And I, I've got some spots where I can go Northern Minnesota, well, north central Minnesota, and kind of get a sweet spot with rough grouse and pheasants that wasn't as hunt, hunted as much. But if you go southwest or south central, it was take a number mm -hmm. and it was a constant usage of the public lands, which again is wonderful. But it they, those birds got pressured um, like nothing I'd ever seen. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, it's kind of like, kind of like. I never used to go, want, I would never take my kids to Disneyland, right? Mm -hmm. I, my nephew went with his, my wife's sister, and for years they wanted to go to Disneyland. And I would hear from my, well, we're brother-in-laws, like our wives, you know, two husbands, how long the lines were. And that was enough to make me like, I am not standing in line to go on a roller coaster for an hour. You're telling me you stood in line for an hour, mm -hmm. right? And... But I've also been like my wife, it's really weird, but we're going to digress. My wife is the biggest Harry Potter. We have a Harry Potter room in our house. We have, we have a Hogwarts room in our house. I'm just, I'm telling you, but my, the point, I'm going to bring this around. Listen. So I went off season with her to Orlando to where they have the, I forget what park that is, not Disneyland, but it's the other one, Universal. And even though I don't like rides, it was like, oh, it, this is what everybody likes about it. The long, the lines weren't long. You could go do things. So yeah, if I if I got in a spot like you guys were, I'd probably be like, oh, I ain't going back here, huh. you know. And uh, so, uh, not to say that amusement parks and pheasant hunting are the same, but they're <laughs> definitely destinations for families, right? Sure. And. Uh, yeah, I, I don't I would I would be unhappy if I pulled up to spots and I'm like, oh, there's two cars here. Yeah, mm -hmm. that would be it would be aggravating. But, you know, we're glad they're out there. But oh, maybe maybe 
maybe us, the people who have been at it just a little longer, we're just going to have to go to Wyoming more. Because the Wyoming, is it's like you were there, Marissa. It's, you feel like you're a, a pioneer just got off a buckboard. I mean, there's <laughs> even if there's another car there, there's like 300, you know, 280 other degrees to go hunt out yeah. there, you know. Yeah. Um, it feels like you own the place. There's even wild horses, you know, just mm-hmm. right off yeah. of the sunset. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I feel like Wyoming is the most underrated upland bird hunting state in the country. Based on my, my experience out there, it's phenomenal. I mean, in the yeah. access to land and the amount of birds that hunters can uh, chase, you don't run out of land. You run out of days and you run out of time while you're there. And yep. you can make whatever you want. And that's that's rare for a Midwest guy. I mean, like I said earlier, I mean, I'd walk, you know, 160 acre. And that's a big chunk. Mm. Out there, 160,000 acres is a tiny chunk. Yeah. So it's, yeah. yeah. I've had this internal wrestling match about whether or not I should leave the Harry Potter uh, theme alone. And I, and I just can't. Um, no, it's, good. You know, Go we're, for it. When we're coming up on Valentine's uh, weekend, does that mean you have to dress up like Harry Potter? On, on- <laughs> <laughs> is, there, is, I, there, is there a kinky cape with a rock band on it? I don't I, I don't have to wear the cape, but I do have to wear the Hogwarts little medal, and I get a wand. I get a wand. Do you get like a little yeah. Z scar on your forehead too that day? No, but I, I think if my wife thought I would let her do it, she'd probably tattoo it right over here where Harry. What? Yeah, I, it is. It is. It's what, believe me. Room look like. It looks, it's got dark purple curtains. It's got posters from, she's been to Universal Studios know, 10 times, 15 times. Goes on all the rides, took me through them. You know, you go through Green Gots, you know, the bank. And I mean, I, it's just weird. It's just weird. <laughs> my, my, my kids were just the right age yeah. where all the books were coming out and they would get up at, we were in Maine on a vacation one time, and I forget what book was coming out. Maybe the Sorcerer's, Sorcerer's Stone, maybe. Saucers. Maybe. Is that the, the Sa- cookbook? The Saucer's Stone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hope she doesn't listen to this. And, uh, or it could have been the Half Blood. It could have been the Half Blood Prince. I'm not sure. But so the theaters would have midnight showings when the movie came out. Why? I don't know. And we're in vacation. I'm in the cabin in Maine, and my wife and three daughters leave at 11 o'clock at night to go see a, a premiere of the next Harry Potter. Mm. They're just – my wife loves it to this day if it's on Sci-Fi Channel and it's, it's on in the back room, and all five episodes are going to be on all day long. I know them by heart. It's, it's really weird. But the room is – it's got like a little fireplace. It's got posters from – Hogwarts. It's got pictures of her on a broom from Universal. It's got wands. It's got all the wands up there. How have you managed it, not to have to name a bird dog after characters out oh, of Harry Potter? Well, I, I, are you? I, this is like a softball question, Bob. On when I had when I was breeding Brocco Italianos pretty actively, I used the the NABDA, the European system of alphabetically naming the litters. So. Your A litter would be your first litter. Your B's your, 
when we got, I had some short hair and wire hair litters when we got into the Broncos, we had an H litter and all the dogs had names from Harry Potter. So it was Dancing Duke Harry, Dancing Duke Her- Hermione, Dancing Duke Hagrid, <laughs> Dancing Duke. And believe me, there's enough characters. We had the whole litter named Harry Potter characters. So I did I did not get away from it if to answer your question. Yeah. Ron, you okay, can I have a- you, you can come to Alaska, but you have to wear your Harry Potter outfit the entire time we hunt. It's just a cape. It's just a not cape. sure. That's that'll look nice. You can put it over your vest. <laughs> I ahead, just want to know what house are you in, Ron? This very serious question. I I would probably want it to be in Hufflepuff. That would be mine. <laughs> Why? Yeah. That's like the soft house, I feel like. Right. I got Broncos. We're not aggressive. <laughs> We're we just love we just love everybody. I don't want to be in Slytherin. You know. I, uh, I might have the mark of the <laughs> I never would have predicted this direction, but uh, no, okay, pure pure gold, pure gold. <laughs> so as we look, you know, at the sad part of the year, everybody except for Travis because he still might get to Alaska. But the sad slim, part slim, of the year was slim chance. Slim but anyway, chance. yeah, season comes to an end. But the first thing we start to do is look forward to, um, you know, September twenty twenty one. Uh, Marissa, we'll start with you. Uh, where are you headed to that, that's got you already planning for this fall? Well, funny enough, Travis, uh, Ptarmigan is pretty high up on that list. Yeah, <laughs> I like it. I like it. Uh, that, that is uh, that's the, the number one bird that I, uh, I want to pursue, but I have this whole um, – so I have this – just fascination with Arctic grayling as well Mm -hmm. in Alaska. Um, And so I have this dream of going to Alaska and doing a, um, you know, fly fishing for the grayling and then going and doing a ptarmigan hunt. And um, we'll see if it ever happens. But uh, I don't know about this year. I might wait until, you know, COVID is long behind us and I don't have to deal with um, any of those challenges. But Sand Hills is definitely kind of an annual thing, um, hitting that in the beginning. And then maybe Wyoming again. I'd like to spend a little bit more time there and get into some of the other grouse species um, and really just kind of expand across the state. Uh, never done Montana, so that's that's high on the wish list too. So we'll see. I don't know. I, I'm still in the planning stages, and I like to I like to think big. So... It's just going to be what my wallet agrees with. <laughs> well, I know planning wise, Travis collect, has collected ideas for bird hunting trips for what eight years now that you've been doing the the, mm-hmm. the flush. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> what uh, what jumps out to you that you're like, I'm doing that one. That well, one's going to be part of twenty one. Okay, it's all COVID based, but Alaska is high up there for me. Um, Hawaii is very high up there for me. Um, and then, uh, I really want to get down into Southeast quail country, uh, deep South quail. I know Bob, we filmed the show with you. I didn't get to go on that one, but, uh, just that, you know, just, I know you were on a plantation down there, but, um, I've, I've talked to a lot of people down in that country that hunt a lot of wild birds and, um, 
So they're high on my list. Ptarmigan in Colorado, that's on my list. Mm. Uh, and then, you know, if we get through this winter and we have a nice hatch, a good, you know, good hatch conditions in the Dakotas and Montana, I, based on what I saw this year and what I heard from basically everybody else that hunted in those areas, um, if we get that weather this year and that hatch, we could be looking at one of the best, uh, seasons of upland bird hunting in my lifetime, probably. Um, Mm -hmm. and I don't want to miss out on that. I obviously have a puppy, but for me, um, I'm, I feel very fortunate always to go to some of these incredible places and document these opportunities. But I got to hunt with my three kids this year, several times. Uh, they're three, five and six right now. And we sacrificed bird numbers for the chance at seeing something. Uh, we went up to Northern Minnesota to a buddy's cabin and, and just spent five days in the woods with my kids and we have rough grouse tail feathers hanging on their wall. Um, just the, the experiences with their puppy uh, hunting and being able to just share those moments with them. Uh, that's the highlight of my year. I can't wait to do more of that next year. Um, it's just those, those moments out there that there's no camera around. And mm. I get to just enjoy that with them. That I got to dig into that a little bit this year for the first time and it's really really as you guys all know it's really sweet and i don't want to miss it i don't want to miss any of those times with them so when i'm not on the road i'm i'm wishing i could be hunting some of these other places with buddies like when tyler called for the end of south dakota i i was with my kids instead that weekend Mm. and so that's that's kind of where i'm at I won't be turning down that invitation next year. <laughs> yeah, it, it was tough to they they did well. They did really well. Yeah. Yep. All right, Rod, you're putting on that magic Harry Potter cape and it's gonna transport you <laughs> to the destination. Oh, I'm sorry, the wand. Oh, and, and off you go to the bird hunting That's destination your of your dreams. Where where are you gonna end up next fall? Probably a lot of my normal places, but um, I, I've sage grouse hunted twice in Wyoming. And I, the it, well, I did do a little sharp tail on the way home, but I want to explore Wyoming a little more this year for sure. And, and literally, I it's not, I know the sage grouse in good numbers, you're not really doing anything to the balance of nature, but I would just like to get huns and sharp tails out there. This mm. is what I'd like to concentrate on and see a little bit more Wyoming. And, uh, and then I've had some invites to go to Colorado, which is not a, nobody thinks that Colorado is a bird hunting destination, really. Mm. You know, I mean, but there's birds there. There's some quail. There's some, there, there's some pheasants. If you yep. get right, of course, they're, they're stealing Kansas's birds. We know that <laughs> they're just flying over the border, but uh, I've hunted you know, it. I've hunted pheasants in Colorado and they they call it the golden triangle. Yeah, Holyoke yeah. to Yuma to Sterling, and they got good right. ERP numbers and good birds. Yeah, I so I wouldn't mind because I love pheasants so much. I would love to take a pheasant out of Colorado. That mm-hmm. would be fun. And then, as much as I don't want to go climb, you know, after blue grouse, it is like my favorite bird to eat in the whole world. Hmm. And I have enough listeners that you know stay in touch with me. When you do a show with with Renella, it's all about like let's let's make the pain show through, and it was. <laughs> but I have on good authority 
people can get me in a truck where I can start hunting, start hunting blue grouse when you get out of the truck. Now I'll still climb and I'll go over stumps and I'll, I'll put some altitude on, but, um, so I'd like to try some blue grouse hunting in Colorado because I always hear the elk hunters talk about it. So I, I've never eaten blue grouse. What, what makes them taste oh. so terrific? I have no idea. Huh. Um, maybe it's because I walked, you know, three thousand feet in elevation. I don't know. Did you eat uh, them? Did you was... eat them out there in the field? Yeah, right, right on the show. And that's, yeah, right on the show. Yeah, that's why they tasted so dang good. Magic. Yep. Well, that's always good. Mm -hmm. But it's one of those birds that you don't have to age. Like you know, sharp tail. As long as you cook sharp tail or or prairie chickens, really rare. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's always going to be good. But a blue grouse, you know, we kind of even overcooked it a little bit. And I made poppers out of them. I mean, we made uh, fettuccine with them. Hmm. And uh, it, it's it's my favorite it's my favorite game bird to eat, hmm. you know, if I had to pick one. And everybody loves, you know, you know my favorite bird to hunt is a, is a rooster pheasant. Mm -hmm. That is not my favorite table fare. I don't know if, you know, that's why all those old people up north put it in cream mushroom soup so you could eat the pheasant. <laughs> it's it's not that great. <laughs> oh, uh, you're overcooking it if you think it's not that great, right? <laughs> well, and probably like all the cooks say, I'm I'm not a plucker. I I don't mm. pluck my birds. I've I've done it. Oh, I say three times in my life, yeah. and and then not paid attention to it and burned the heck out of it on the grill with the skin. So, sure. I, as far as a place to go, it'd be Colorado, Wyoming. But I do want to try to get like better at preparation mm. of the game birds. I really would like to try next year to do like some cooler recipes, pluck some birds, and you know, because that just complements everything we do. Right on. Having having something that's really special for a dinner, yeah. you know. So that'd be my goal. Well, as as I move, yeah, go ahead, Travis. So on to on that topic, because I spent so much time camping out on the prairie this year, I feel like it added just uh, an element to the hunt that we a lot of times don't show. And I try, I feel like this yeah. year we'll have a few recipes in, in our TV show coming up. Um, we, we shot sharp tail grouse. We, out of the same patch of buffalo berries, we picked the berries and then we made uh, stuff right there out on the on the prairie with the birds and I, there's something about eating a wild bird out on the prairie where you shot it or out in the field mm -hmm. it's maybe it's the miles you put on um, but you're still there you haven't left it's all still part of the hunt there's no better wild game that I've ever eaten than when you're out there in the field enjoying it after the hunt Travis do you feel because this year I I camped for most of the the trips that I did too. Um, and I hadn't really done that historically. I mean, I've always camped, but I didn't really combine them a lot. And I feel like in a good way, it's almost kind of ruined me. Um, like now when I'm planning hunting trips, I want it to be a camping hunting trip. Like I want yeah. the whole picture. And I don't know if that's kind of what you experienced too. Or Yeah, absolutely. If I could do it, I probably would do it every single time. The reality is I'm usually with cameramen and other people 
and I have to make sure that everybody's comfortable. This is their job. I love it, but they're cameramen and they may not be pheasant hunters or bird hunters at the end of the day, um, but they're they're just doing their job. So I try to make them as comfortable as possible. But yeah, I, I want to get as far away from people as humanly possible and push myself to the limits every single chance I possibly can. And if I'm camping out there, that just takes it to another level. And I will say, I wasn't roughing it. I, I towed my ice castle fish house and I have all the amenities of a home. So I just didn't, didn't have to go back into town. We did, you know, one of our the curtains peel back. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it, but we, we did set it up out there and, you know, I brought a camp uh, cook set up and I, we cooked out on the, uh, outside every day and it just was i mean like i've never had sharp tail grouse taste so good oh and everything that we we harvested um we we enjoyed it out there and really just took everything to the the best place that it could it's like a shore lunch compared to a a fish dinner somewhere it's a great comparison yeah. yeah 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 it's i mean what's better than a shore lunch if you're catching walleyes right mm -hmm. i mean yep. mm -hmm. It's like, for God's sakes, I mean, there's nothing better. Yeah, I mean, some salmon at a Beck restaurant is great, but shore lunch, walleye, like in the middle of a fishing trip, yeah, it's the same thing. Yeah, And I, it's probably a bit of a placebo. It's probably because of where you're at and what you're doing. But, yeah, you could, you know, you could even throw, I bet you cream mushroom soup and pheasants <laughs> would be good. On, on, on the tail, on the tailgate. So, Marissa, Marissa, just a heads up. Spoiler alert: one of your recipes was cooked in Montana. That will be on an, an upcoming flesh episode. Uh, really? Yep. Yep. Ben Bredigan got your recipe, and he was with us, and and it involves peaches. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I know exactly which one you're talking about. And thank yeah, you very and much. I wrote about it. Yeah, I wrote about that, but that's actually um, one of our farm bill biologist recipe. Okay. Uh, hers. And what did you think? Was it? Oh, it was so good. Yeah. yeah I mean, there's just, there's almost too many flavors that you didn't know which one you wanted to enjoy. But yeah, I mean, phenomenal, phenomenal. Did you do uh, Did you do the chutney too? Yeah. Oh yeah, yep. <laughs> that's where it's at. <laughs> so that one is the is it prairie chicken and whiskey, peach uh, cream sauce. Cream sauce. Oh yeah. So if yep. if listeners Google that, um, it's uh, there's a blog that you wrote. Um, was it two years ago on the pheasants? It was website? from this. Was it, it this year? Past September. Okay. Yeah, because we served that at our campsite too. So it was even that much better. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So as, as we transition and first of all, um, thank you all for spending so much time, uh, you know, dedicated to sharing this conversation of recapping the season and, and, you know, just building so much enthusiasm in the outdoors, but very specifically, you know, bird hunting, conservation, bird dogs mm -hmm. on cue and, uh, and, you know, in particular, pheasants forever and quail forever. Um, it, it's just, it, it really is remarkable to see, you know, the burgeoning interest in, in the uplands compared to, you know, five years ago with, you know, with the advent of all these podcasts and websites and, you know, Travis, I, I have to imagine just interest in the show and feedback you're getting 
you know, just what I witness on Facebook and social media, it's exploded in the last couple of years like it never did the first 15. Right. Yeah. I mean, we definitely have seen a, a big, big increase on our side. Um, we added, you know, this this is the first year of adding a podcast to go along with it. Um, there's not a single show that goes out, podcast or TV show, that we don't get feedback from people. They maybe want more questions or they enjoyed something or had questions about how to get into, um, you know, doing something. There was a lot of first time hunters this year, a lot. Mm -hmm. And then there were also a lot of hunters that said, Hey, I've never explored. I've never, you guys talk about the West and how great it is and how much land and what do I have to do? And so, um, on a, basically every day I'm responding. I try to respond to everybody, but I give them as much information as I can without handing them the the bird you know they right, they, right. they you should have that part of the that's part of the hunt is to figuring it out and then it's rewarding but i just think in general um obviously this year people had more time and that was a great place to socially distance uh but even still the the popularity of upland bird hunting i feel like has grown and you know and, and i think i've been doing this tv show now for about six years so i would say each year I've seen what I feel like is a pretty steady growth in it. Mm -hmm. um, and we've really changed from, you know, it was Pheasants Forever Television for, Bob, how many years? Like seven or eight years, something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. First, and, yeah and, 2005 to 2012-ish. Yeah, and, and so now the flush, I focus as much as I can on public land and then just my personal desire to explore places that are challenging um and i feel like there's just a lot of people out there that like that so i'm hearing mm -hmm. the feedback directly from other public land hunters uh that that enjoy that yeah all right so as we wrap up um like each of you to give kind of a tip or a suggestion for this audience that's primarily you know pheasants forever quail forever members but be any tip you'd like on upland uh, bird hunting, bird dogs, what you learned maybe with a young pup, uh, whatever you'd like. But then I'd also like you uh, to mention your podcast in, in a particular episode or a few that if our audience hasn't listened to the hunting dog podcast or the, or the flush or Marissa, what's your favorite that, that we've done, you know, <laughs> Uh, point point folks towards a podcast or two that you'd like them to sample and and start to uh, experience uh, your conversation. So we'll start we'll start with Ron. Oh, um, so, um, can you repeat the question, Bob? <laughs> <laughs> How many Millers? No. <laughs> yeah. No. What? Um, what, what I would tell people, and this comes from, you know, I'm in my, like I started my seventh year of podcasting with this stuff and I never mm. thought, well, I'm going to run out of content, right? And luckily meeting, you know, Travis and Marissa and you, Bob, and RGS people, it's, it's, it's like, oh, there's always going to be somebody out there I can talk to. So, mm -hmm. but the one thing I've learned with, I've been working with a trainer buddy of mine and I it's a project that I'm not ready to talk about, but it's really exciting. And the one thing I learned with my own dogs and from him, and this is for anybody with a dog, and people have said it, but it can't be said enough. 
you got a young dog and you're going to have a buddy who might be your mentor. He says, we need to get this dog in front of birds. I'm like, uh, uh, we, you know, I tell people slow down with the dog. You know, if it's the right age for its first hunting season, so be it. Right. But if it's not, mm -hmm. I learned from a lot of interviews when I interview people in England and they almost, of course, you know, England's way different than America. Right. They kind of have a lot of rules and they have a lot of, uh, proper, just like when they hunt, they, they're still kind of dressed up like we used to do in the thirties. Right. You've seen old pictures of people in a pheasant hunt. They, they have like a vest and a tie on, right? Well, that came mm -hmm. from England and they will typically, this dog is not going to see a bunch of birds in its first year. It's going to see a bunch of them and a bunch of, uh, I don't want to call it obedience, but a bunch of structure to where, mm -hmm they know the dog's personality before the dog just goes out and finds birds and you find out it's a, you know, it's bird. You know, I tell people, here's what I've learned, you know, Bob, you might have to edit some of this. I'm not sure. Okay. <laughs> but when, when people worry about, boy, my dog is, this isn't finding birds yet. My, I got to get my dog in front of birds. My dad did not leave a playboy magazine out where I could see it when I was five or 10 years old. He was pretty sure I was going to like that someday. <laughs> and and bird dogs, it go the same way, Marissa. It could be a play, you know, could be a playgirl man. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Thank Absolutely. You. I mean, your parents were not really afraid that you weren't going to like that someday, but you needed structure first, right? You, you, and that's, and, and, and this goes to what Travis is dealing with. He had a young pup who got, birds 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 right he got to he got that playboy magazine a little early <laughs> and, <laughs> and you know it'll so i'm just tell people slow down it's get get your field handling get your come when called get your get your bond with the dog and if you have to sacrifice a season obviously it would only be the first season just bond with that dog more, get them in places, get them to do things, but don't worry about getting them on birds. They genetically are going to love birds. You don't have to worry about it. And, and that's what, I, that was my suggestion. And of course, anybody, you know, that, you know, as far as finding the podcast, it's on all the platforms. You don't have to go far to find it. It's, uh, you know, Google Stitcher, Spotify and all that other happy stuff. But that, that's my suggestion to people is slow down a little bit. And I've gone a little long on this. I know, Bob, but um, being That's a judge right. for NAVDA. Uh, so North American Versal Hunting Dog Association, you know, we're conservation partners with, with Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. And what I've seen over the years is people want to get their six-month-old dog into a natural ability test. It works sometimes. Everything's fine. But it's they're they're in a hurry now sometimes that's because in our rules the dog has to be under 16 months of age to do the test they don't have another time slot i i get it sometimes they got to go early but back when i started judging you'd see much you'd see many more 10 month old 12 month old 14 month old dogs doing this natural ability test and we see all the time so common i've seen four month old dogs doing this test miraculously some of them do well some of them don't or they have one big flaw i just tell people slow down a little bit your dog mm. is going to like birds genetically 
Okay. It just slow down. There's my advice. <laughs> <laughs> and, and an episode that you're particularly proud of that folks, if folks like the, the sense of humor, the Harry Potter stories, the dog training Ooh. tips, what's an episode that, um, you point people to listen um, to the hunting dog podcast. What well, was pretty recently, I, there's, like I said, there's so many of them. Um, but one that a lot of people just like, because if you want to see my real personality about how I say, I love people in places as much as I do my dogs. We did a mm -hmm. grouse hunt up on the El Sable river at, uh, can't remember the name of the lodge. It's a really old private lodge on the El Sable river up in Michigan. And three or four of the guys we hunted with, I finally saw where the, the temper was going with the, the drinking that day or that, that evening. I said, we got to get the recorder out and we got to start. We got to get this down. Otherwise, everybody's going to be slurring. And so it's probably from, what's the October, November? I can't remember the name of the title, but it's on the Osable River. And uh, okay. if you want to hear the real me and the real guests that, why I started this podcast is just to talk to people. That's a dandy. That's a dandy. Yeah. It's, it might be, it Wonderful. might be for mature audiences only, but it's a dandy. <laughs> Aren't they all? <laughs> no, sometimes, sometimes it's all about conservation and, you know, sometimes it's okay. <laughs> well, that's true. You, you had a terrific one with Ben Jones the rough Grouse sure, society sure. that was a that was a wonderful one too right right yeah and yeah you, sometimes you can't, when, you can't go wrong with your dog training episodes either oh yeah as far as uh i've mentioned his name before justin mcgrail i get so many people in fact i was talking with well back to nick larson and darrell smith were doing a podcast and i felt so kind of like like I got a real pat on the back. I wasn't on the podcast and I was listening to them too. And they both said how many times they listened to the podcast when I have Justin McGrail on. He has just got mm. a, a way of delivering training. It's it's same thing that people have been doing forever, but it, he, he's kind of like a savant. I don't want to say dog whisperer, you know, because I, I don't personally, he doesn't whisper to dogs. Um, <laughs> whispering doesn't get you... Whispering's nice on a date, you know, in a, in a movie theater when you want to go somewhere later. Um, but those episodes, when I have training, there's probably two episodes a year I do with Justin, and there'll be one coming out here in a month. We do a lot of listeners' questions and answers, and uh, those are ones that people just they'll listen. They tell me they listen to him over and over and over. Yeah, because he's that good. True. I'm not that good, but he's that good. Thank goodness for guests. <laughs> <laughs> no mm -hmm. doubt about it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, Marissa, closing thought and uh, your favorite episode you want to point people towards. Yeah, you know, and I think probably come from a little bit of a different perspective with this, just um, with my background as being um, kind of late to the hunting game is, uh, you know, Travis made me think of it as we were talking on this episode. You know, don't be afraid to not only, you know, have mistakes and, you know, fail and struggle with different things, but to talk about it too, you know, as he mentioned the um, struggles that he's had a little bit with the puppy, but how relatable that is to people out there that um, they, especially in the world of social media where everything looks perfect, 
Um, I think it can be really intimidating when you don't shoot a limit and your bird doesn't hold, or your bird, your bird doesn't hold point. When your bird dog doesn't hold point perfectly um, or isn't steady to the flush. I mean, all these things that we have in our minds that um, they all have to click for us to be considered the perfect bird hunter and to have the perfect outing. Um, so it's really refreshing when we have individuals that can talk about, yeah, my, my dog ran away uh, during that hunt, or yeah, I lost that bird, or I shot a box of shells and didn't, you know, come home with a single uh, anything in my vest. So everybody has those days and those outings and those dogs and those experiences mm -hmm. um, to just not let that discourage you and to just keep getting out there. And the most important thing is to just enjoy your time while you're there great point. um favorite episode so i don't have my own podcast i just um but obviously i'm going to um, highlight the on the wing podcast and i think my favorite episode you know that we've done bob is is the adult onset hunter with julia Schrankler and eric sterner yeah. um that was a really fun one where we kind of dove into a lot of different topics on the, the struggles and the highlights. And um, I really enjoyed that one. And then I, I also really liked the one where, where you um, had conversations with, um, I'm blanking on his name right now, Brown, uh, but with the Sage Grouse Initiative and the work that mm. we've done in, um, with that organization and the habitat for Sage Grouse. Um, they have a very soft spot in my heart and I listened to it after the trip, fortunately, because, uh, you know, the, the group talked about how terrible of a shot you had to be to miss a sage grass. And <laughs> I'm glad I listened to that on the way home. <laughs> that, that, All right. I'm getting better. Every was, day. <laughs> that was a particularly good one with Tim Griffiths, uh, from sage grouse initiative and, and, uh, um, U.S. Department of Agriculture. If if Travis and Ron, if you guys ever want to talk sage grouse on your your shows, Tim is he's a he's a gem. Um, Travis, yeah. we'll give you the closing thoughts. They're all yours. Well, I wish we had gone a little bit further in depth on what Ron used to wear back in the '30s when he mentioned <laughs> that. But, uh... yeah, 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 he didn't mention the knickers, but you know he was wearing knickers with that tie yeah. and the vest. Yeah. I'm going. I'm going kill next year. <laughs> anyway, uh, and, and yeah, a cape. I am a kilt and a cape. <laughs> yeah, a cape's optional. Oh, uh, I think you know a, a piece of advice that I've heard from a couple people, and I think it really has uh, treated me well, is not to try to train with my dog when I have emotions attached. Uh, the second that something is going on and I'm frustrated and I'm mad or angry or upset. Um, don't try to train in those, in those times, mm -hmm. um, take a break, cool down, come back to it. Um, and you're going to be happier with yourself. Uh, you're going to actually achieve something with your dog in those instances. Not perfect at it. I'm learning a lot with a very bold, challenging dog myself, but that, um, I can see how the the emotion rises quickly, and I've constantly reminded myself to just try to keep that emotion in check to work with my dog. Um, so that's a piece of advice that I I think is valuable. Um, as far as our shows, you know, I've this is just my first year doing it. Ron, Bob, you guys were both 
uh, kind enough to join me and, and uh, we got to talk about things that we love, uh, hunting birds. Uh, but I've also heard some stories from people um, and the, a lot of the feedback that I've gotten on a couple of them, one of them was a listener who wrote me a, a long letter and I read his story on the air and had him as a guest and he talked about growing up without a dad and how he got into hunting and now how he likes to uh, teach other people, mentor other people on a personal scale. Um, and his story touched a lot of lot of our listeners because I heard just a lot of feedback. Scott Kinane is his name. Uh, that is the title of that episode. Mm-hmm. Um, Sam Daly is another another dog trainer that he got called from the uh, U.S. Marine Corps to train dogs in Afghanistan, spent two tours over there training dogs that sniffed bombs, that saved soldiers' lives on the front lines. And he was devastated when he came home because all these dogs and these soldiers, he had to leave them behind, and they were devastated. Now he trains dogs that um, help these soldiers, these veterans that are suffering from PTSD, his story was so real. Um, he talked about what it was like serving over there, working with these dogs. He still takes some of these soldiers after they're done with the with the training process. Um, he takes them on a pheasant hunt in South Dakota. We were fortunate to document that this year for an episode mm-hmm. of our TV show. But just his story, um, I, it just really was hard to listen to that and not be affected. And then Darrell Smith, um, he talked about being a black man, uh, getting into hunting and some of the things that he faces that I can't relate to, uh, just had a lot, a lot of feedback on that. So those are some shows, but really I feel like, um, I just, I don't know. I think maybe, maybe the next one might be a good one. I don't know. I don't, (laughs) (laughs) I'm not really sure what to say. It's, it's the flush podcast. Um, you can download it wherever you get your podcasts, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Marissa Jensen, Travis Frank, Ron Bame, thank you so much for spending so much time uh, with me this afternoon. And like I mentioned before, thanks for spreading the energy and the enthusiasm for the Uplands. Yeah, you're definitely making a difference in the number of people that enjoy the Uplands. And that makes a difference in how many people participate in conservation, which is the mission of our organization. So I uh, can't thank you enough for for the enthusiasm and the fun stories you bring to to our audience. Thank you. And I'm Bob St. Pierre reminding you to always follow the dog. Something good will rise. Thanks for listening.